Hello and welcome to episode 165 of Effect. The music of the spheres. I'm Matthew and hold on, hold on, you're not Dave. No, I'm not Dave. I don't even resemble Dave, thankfully. I must say, this chair is very uncomfortable. Who are you and what makes you famous? Uh, I'm Andy and I'm not really famous, really, am I? No, no, no. Well, I mean, you're famous because we take the mickey out of you um, on the podcast. Yeah, you do do that. Yeah, that happens a lot. Um, Well, as as we explained last time... um, Dave is away on holiday, so in his absence, I've got a far better co-host um, to join us. Uh, welcome, uh, Andy. Um, and one of the reasons why we've got a far better co-host is um, you're, you are so knowledgeable about the contents of this episode, you're going to be able to ring them off as though you've practiced this for years. Um, some of them, yeah. One, one may be out of all of the various things you have lined up. Right, but you're okay. not actually going to say what they are. Do you want me to do that bit as well? Well, I thought you were going to be the the professional co-host here and and give me all the lead ins and all the rest of it. I thought you were the straight guy setting everything up. So see. I do the time. The way it normally happens is one of us does the hello and welcome to episode whatever of okay. The name. Well, I'm Matthew in my case, and then I say, and I'm Dave. No, or Dave would say, I'm Dave, <laughs> and, and We've got a pack program, and uh, it all goes off really smoothly and professionally. But never mind. Um, well, I am an effect virgin here. I mean, you know, this is my first recording session. So. Oh, I think Dave took your effect virginity some time ago. I'm sure there was a, an interview I think we on did effect. Various bits, and yeah. we've had you, we've had you co-interviewing Mark Miller. You can't claim uh, to still be a virgin. I'm well, sorry. I the intro any but at all before have i I haven't done anything like that i don't know (laughs) Uh, anyway uh, let me let me just explain then we've got a uh, world of gaming there's no new uh patrons uh today so we don't have to thank you of course to all our current patrons uh we love you all we don't just love the new ones um but we can skip over that and go straight to the world of gaming. We're going to be talking about the D-Sanction, Draka, Octimona, uh, Into the Odd, and Avatar. And okay. then I have already recorded, and I'm in the process of editing this, but I've been rudely interrupted by Andy here who wanted to record the introduction. <laughs> um, uh, I've already recorded an interview with Andreas Lundström, composer extraordinaire, host of uh, Sweden Rolls, and... Um, and all the music that he has been creating for a variety of the games that we love. When I say we, I don't think he's done any of the games you love. He hasn't done a soundtrack for Traveller, Andy. No, but I do love Twilight. So it is ah, a game I ah, love. So, he has done a soundtrack for that one. Yeah, right. he's done the Twilight um, OST. So, yeah, I think he's, um, I think he's quite a, a cool composer, actually, judging by the stuff I heard. Okay, I I'm heard just going to put out one of your comments here, though, from our recent Discord. Yeah. Which you say, I like the OST for Twilight 2000. Indeed. But it sounds a little 633 Squadron to me. Well, I, I wonder if that's just military music in general sounds like 633 Squadron to me. 
Well, 63 Squadron might might be the archetypal military music. I think it is, because the RAF actually use it as an official tune now, don't they? The yeah. intro to 633. So it, it probably has just become, you know, the de facto standard, whatever. And you I remember um, when I was a kid, like really small, my mm. dad was mad keen on flying um, anyway. So obviously being five or whatever, I was mad keen on flying too. And 63 was one of my favorite pieces of music. So I was just querying mm-hmm. the butt there. I'd, I'd have t- 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 written that sentence. I like the OST. It sounds a lot like 633 Squadron. Yeah, I, I, I'm not so keen on 633 Squadron as a piece of music, probably because of overexposure to it, because it's played everywhere and everyone grabs it when they want a bit of military music. That said, um, had it sounded like Where Eagles There or something, it would have probably been less good. So, I mean, you know. So, I, uh, that was going to be my next question is what is the, what's your favorite military? I guess we're talking about films here. Your favorite military film score? Where is Eagles that? Dare Where would Eagles be Dare? the top. Yeah. Or maybe Guns of Navarone, but certainly Where Eagles Dare is in the top three. I think it's a, a classic film in every way. And uh, even the soundtrack. And even the soundtrack. They've got something really similar to that. In, in yes, they have. Yeah. Well. Okay. I'm. I like the soundtrack. Let's let's leave it at that. All right. Right. Thank you. Before we start comparing it to other. So um. So you you're not there for that interview. Uh. So we'll be saying goodbye to you before that interview starts. But you are here for the world of gaming, and one of the reasons why. I invited you on here to be my uh, temporary co-host is because of some of the world of gaming news. Do you want to tell us what it is? The D sanction has uh, a Kickstarter for the D adventures, which, um, okay. So short story is originally the D sanction Kickstarter had several adventures launched with it. Um, They were all only PDF. And now there is a Kickstarter for five of those adventures in print with extended content and stretch goals and so on, which they've already met. So it will be extended content and the sixth scenario. Um, and it's also a chance if you missed out to get the hardcover D rules and things of that ilk, depending where you, where you back it at. Um, I think there's only two backing levels, actually. There's uh, something agent and distinguished agent, mm-hmm. only two levels. Um, but the main part of it for me is the fact that it's actually going to be a proper printed book, which I prefer to a PDF for starters. And also, um, if they make the final stretch goal, we get a set of D cards, which is sounds trivial. But since the D system has a playing card mechanic built all the way through it, um, an official set of playing cards for the game is actually quite cool. And it's all yeah, featuring the art cool. of so, Edwin Moreau um, as well. I was just like, so we ought to say, first of all, that if you're at all interested in what we're talking about, get thee to Kickstarter straight away, because as we record this, there are only five days of the campaign to go. By the right. time I've faffed around with it, um, it'll be four days probably before this comes out, or worse comes to worst, three days before the uh, before the Kickstarter campaign finishes. Be honest, the Kickstarter will have ended by the time you've edited this. <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, only if you really screw up, Andy. And I, oh, okay. I'm holding your hand through this. I'm being gentle as though it's your first time, even though it's already your third time. And quite frankly, you should have got used to it by now. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Um, Yeah, so there are only five or four days to go, depending on when this goes out. But um, it's doing rather well. It's it's nearly at £6,000, I think. 
Yeah, um, so and really 6,500 got... is the target for the cards, is it? Yep, so only 600 quid to go and five days, so doable. Um, and judging by the, uh, the extra content I've seen, which is only a snippets that uh, Paul has sort of hinted at, um, I think it will be well worth it. I think it's well worth it anyway, just for the printed version of the adventures, to be honest. Um, and I was somewhat chuffed. I had to get my own plug in. Um, in that, in one of the updates, Paul thanked me for doing the site, which I was rather pleased about. Um, so there you go, a little bit of claim to fame there. Um, but um, now available on Drive Through RPG. Um, anyway, so we can talk about that in a moment. A Let's finish on this one first. But yeah, um, the, the the stretch goals for this are actually quite good. They're, they're quite reasonable. They're only adding in um, color splashes and artwork and extra content and things. It's not like he's gone crazy with it, unlike other certain things we can talk about later. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to go well. And the extra adventure in the fertile ground, um, Paul published the cover for that which i think has been inspired by the fact he's been doing a, a fair bit of gardening recently so <laughs> <laughs> um yeah if you look at his twitter feed he's found odd shaped branches in his garden and things of that sort so yeah i think it's it's well worth it and there's not much else to say about it really apart from, uh, so let's just clarify i can know. see these here we've got the watchful agent and the distinguished yep. agent and distinguished agent actually is all gone which suggests to me that, that means oh, no. sold out. No, no, he's hard... doing it in batches. He's got extra copies of the hardback book he found. And my understanding is he's doing, um, I don't know if he's finished doing this, but he was doing extra tens at a time on Distinguished Agent, uh, like 24 hours apart or something like that. So there is a small chance if you watch it and you're quick enough that you might that get another in with Distinguished Agent. So at the moment it says, yeah, I think you might be right, because the last time I looked at it, it said there were 50 backers and the handle sold out. Mm. And this time it now says reward no longer available, but it does say 50, 60 backers. So yeah. he's added 10 at least since the last time I've seen it. And, and I think it might go to 70. I don't right. think he has any more copies than that, but he found some extra hardbacks stuffed away somewhere. Um, yeah, it does happen. Um, now, but if 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 uh, somebody backs this and gets to the pack of paying, playing cards, is that just an add-on, or do you get that if you're just? No, that's a stretch goal. That's that's included. Comes as far as I'm aware. Then. Yeah, if you're if you're on distinguished agent, you'll get the pack of playing cards. Is my understanding. I don't think it's an add-in. Add-in are things like the original map and uh, the Siglum Day coin and all that sort of thing. You know, things that have already been released. Um, so the, the pack of playing cards, I think it's actually a proper stretch goal. Right. Jolly good. Excellent. Um, that, well, that, that may be splendid. I'm, I'm just seeing, looking for clarification and I don't see it at all. I do see a section on actual plays and it doesn't mention your excellent actual plays that you spread all over uh, the internet. I know. I, I, there's only one linked, I think, and it's someone else. I can't remember who it is. Yeah, Orlanth or Rex's Gaming Vexes, which someone is not a lovely important. title for a podcast. But, um... <laughs> but no, seriously. Um, but yeah, but there are actually quite a few of the actual plays on YouTube and podcasts now. Um, I forget his handle and his name, but there's a guy who's doing uh, quite a few of them. And it's uh, BTT on Foundry now. There's a D Foundry module as well. So it's becoming quite quite popular like that. Excellent. Excellent. Right. So um, before we finish on D-Sanction, mm. tell me more about the site. Ah, well, that was my personal obsession, which was actually not originally going to be published at all, in that I 
started researching D stuff and, and Tudor stuff, as you do. And I started writing down notes for it, which started taking a shape and eventually became a very large document, something like 70, 80 pages of stuff. And then I thought, what the hell, and sent it to Paul. And Paul looked at it and went, it's great, but it's 80 pages, and there's no way I could ever possibly publish that. So we broke it down. I think you said something a bit similar. As yeah, you did. But it's really long. Yeah, but Paul kind of had the final say. So. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, so we broke out a chunk of it, which was to do with um, basically the second site and sort of extracentry perception and other sort of mid-level to low-level powers like that. And it became a supplement, and it's now on Drive-Thru RPG. And it's also doing very well on Drive-Thru RPG, as far as I can tell. It's copper anyway, so that's a good thing. Um, but, yeah, I, it surprised me, actually, that it was, A, accepted by Paul, and, B, actually became reasonably popular. It took me by surprise entirely. So, how, so it's only available as a PDF? At the moment, yeah. He hasn't he hasn't added this as a stretch goal to get this into hardback uh, as well. The, the site will be doing its own thing in print at a future undetermined date. We haven't decided when, but there will be a print edition at some point. A print on demand from from dry through or a separate print edition? I don't know. You'd have mm. to ask Paul that one. Um, I'm I'm looking at it on dry through right now, and there's two yeah. things I can tell you, and I can tell our visitors. Um, the if, if you're listening to this again, get the straight drive through because until September the 14th, which frankly isn't long, um, <laughs> there is a sale of uh, September historical settings sale. And so uh, the site is marked down from £3.52 in good old English money to £2.64. So it's a bargain time. And you should promote that, uh, Andy, and uh, get a few more. Do you know how many you've sold so far? Well, over 50, because it went copper, but I don't know exactly um, how many over 50. I guess it's somewhere between 50 and 200, or it would have gone silver by now, or whatever silver No, it so it's 100 for silver, 101 so for silver. Somewhere between 50 and 100, then. Yeah. Um, it's doing reasonably well, though, I think. And the next jump is huge. You get to Electrum at uh, 250, so... Right, so it scales as you go. Yeah. But yeah, um, but frankly, to get to copper was quite remarkable, I thought. Yeah, no, no, very, no. very chuffed with that. Um, it was a nice piece of work, even in the draft format that you showed me earlier on. And that's course, enough Paul, about you. Let's oh, well, talk right. about the games company that we love. Well, freely. I do, I'm not sure about you. And that's well, freely. No, I like them. There's a couple of uh, uh, freely bits of news. Um, the first bit is... Um, Drakkar Ochtimona, which is has been held. It's the it's Sweden's oldest role-playing game. Uh, it was last published by uh, Riot Mines, and in fact, Riot Mines have transmuted it into Trudvang Chronicles. So the original, for want of a better word, the the, the actual brand Drakkar Ochtimona hasn't really got a home, and now it's been licensed to Free League. But only for Swedish speakers. Only for <laughs> Swedish speakers. Yes. Yeah, which kind of makes sense because I think it's really just a Swedish brand, isn't it, really? Yeah, it is, really. And I think yeah. there's a number of Swedes there who are going, oh, now the English will get to, or the Anglophone world, I should say, hmm. will get to see the brilliance that is Drakkar Octimuna. But um, I'm not sure. Well, I, I basically, i mindful of the 16% of our listeners who are Swedes, 
I thought it's my duty on the podcast to invite Free League on to talk about it. And they declined my offer. Really? Yep. They said, given that it's never going to come out in English, um, we we don't want to you know shout too loudly about it on your podcast. So thank you. Was, no thanks. There was um, discussion on another Discord about um, translating it a page at a time in Google Translate, <laughs> which I don't think will happen. But, but then, I, I, you know, what will you end up with? I mean, I, uh, it would be BRP, wouldn't it? I, I, it's based on BRP. Well, it's gone but, through so many transmutations over the years. I wonder how close to BRP it actually is. But they're also talking about bringing it back to prime oh, right. Mona. So I reckon it will be pretty similar to BRP. Um, well, in that case, why bother translating it? Go and get a copy of BRP. I mean, that yeah, would be the exactly. Anglophone version, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, uh, obviously the uh, Dracoarch Demona went went big on ducks, of course, but then RuneQuest has got yeah. ducks. So See, copy the duck walls over I to hate RuneQuest ducks. and you're sorted. Sorry. Yeah, Anti-Daily anti like here. I, 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 I hate ducks. I, I banned ducks in RuneQuest. I ignored ducks in Simbarum, and I'm not interested in ducks anywhere else. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, ducks are non-canon in Simbarum. <laughs> yeah, but they are there, whether you like it or not. There, there is an April Fool's joke. Yeah. But it, it, nobody's expecting you to be Andrix, I believe they're called. However, if you take ducks out of Ring Quest, you're not playing Glorantha. But then, if I remember, this is one of my big gripes with you. Ah, oh, here we go. <laughs> No, I don't use the official request background. Well, actually, I do, kind of, because I based mine on Fantasy Europe and then redrew the map. Yeah. So Fantasy Europe was an official background for a while. But no, I don't use Glorantha, um, primarily because there's just too much. Glorantha is massive, and I wanted to do my own thing. Um, but one thing I did notice, so I did a little research before this of Thrakar Okdemona, or however you say it, and the thing that struck me most about it was the fact that it has the same covers on the box sets and books and whatever as the old Elric novels used to have. In fact, I think it is exactly the same artwork that used to be on the old Elric novels when they were published by Penguin or Panther or whoever did them, um, which I think is really cool because that artwork must have cast an arm and a leg to license back way back in the day and then reprint. So... Um, yeah, the guy who originally did this, and I forgive me, I don't know who originally did this, um, was actually really serious about this. If he was going to pay, you know, licensed color artwork back in the 1980s or whatever. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Um, I, I believe um, it was uh, a company called Target Games originally, or probably right. Target Games, but in Swedish, whatever, whatever that is. Right. Or well. was it Adventurespiel? Um, no, or did I, anyway. Yeah, it was a reasonably large games company in Sweden that, that licensed it, so they may have had a bit of money uh, going around there. Well, it's not your normal 1970s, 1980s era, you know, monochrome, <laughs> staple-bound book, is it? it? It seems the quality is there from the beginning, which is quite impressive, uh, because I remember ordering role-playing supplements in the 1980s and getting them, you know, basically black and white printed on A4 with staples in them and going, okay, <laughs> this is the quality level I should expect. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's, it, it looks really cool. I'm sure it has a massive following in Sweden. In fact, I know it has a massive following in Sweden. I'm not really sure I'm concerned about no English version. It's great that Free League are doing it. Um, and yeah, I love the original covers. So yeah, that's about I, I it for me, really. To be fair, um... 
uh, freely, I, I've heard a little bit of stick from some Swedes saying freely have forgotten where they started. Now they're in the big league with Alien. And mm. I think that maybe this is a way of saying to their Swedish fan base, we haven't forgotten Sweden. We do loads of games just in Swedish. And here's another one. And not just any old other Swedish game. This is the Swedish game. And we're going to do it with all the lovely um, production quality that Free League is famous for. So it's a love letter to Swedish fans, basically. I think, think so. Well, that makes sense. Um, and I suppose if it is as popular as I'm led to believe, then I'm sure it'll do very well for them. Uh, but I don't think they translate everything they do into English anyway, do they? I mean, there's some mutant titles that are only Swedish, I believe. Uh, uh, yeah, so there's there's a there's a game called Mutant Hindenburg, yeah, which isn't part of the Mutant Year Zero franchise, right? Which is entirely separate and entirely different rules and entirely Swedish, right? Well, and I okay. think probably never going to get translated into English. Well, so, um, moving on again, uh, something else is coming out from Free League which is entirely English. Um, uh, and that's Chris McDowell's Into the Odd. Now, uh, before we before we had this program, Andy, you told us you knew everything about Into the Odd. So <laughs> I Googled this last night because I'd never heard of it. Um, <laughs> and I found that it originally came out in 2014. The Kickstarter hasn't started yet, so there's nothing to see. And there were three sample pictures from the new one that I found on a website somewhere that looked really good, but were just three sample pictures. Um, so I know about as much as this about this as I do about Swahili. In fact, marginally more than I know about Swahili, or probably the other way around. Anyway, bottom line is I know nothing. So educate me, please. Right. Well, I can tell you only a little. I don't know much more about it, um, apart from the fact that it came out mm, about seven, six, seven years ago. Um, well, and, I knew that. That's that I found by googling easily enough. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, where, where I think Chris McDowell has got famous is he brought out a game on Kickstarter about a year ago called Bastion Land. Ah, right. Okay. And Bastion Land is a kind of extension of Into the Odd. I think Bastion is a city in Into the Odd. Right. And um, Bastion Land is therefore, you know, a kind of. I mean, it's a separate game. I don't think it's a. I don't think Into the Odd is required to play Bastion Land, uh, but it, it's kind of based in the same world. I think you can say shared universe or something. Yes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> I think. I think so. Um, if you, I, I'm just looking at Into the Odd uh, reference on Google Books, um, and it includes a complete guide to Odd World from the cosmopolitan city of Bastion, and it's hidden underground through to backwards deep country. So uh, Bastion is there in Into the Odd, uh, but Into the Odd is getting a redo, and it's getting a redo with... Um, it, 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 so Chris is kickstarting it himself, but it will be published when it's published by Free League. And it has Johan Noor's direction on it. Let me have a look. I can't remember which, which of the two... Um, um, Merc Boya uh, creators is that's um, what I was going to ask actually is this under the same sort of I'm right. third, under the same sort of third party license well not license but publishing arrangement as Merc Bori whatever however you say that Merc Borg um, I know Amateur. my Swedish is terrible um, but it's the same sort of external publishing arrangement yes right 
So, um, uh, yeah, so I, uh, we know that little about it. We will put a link in the show notes to the placeholder page on Kickstarter and maybe to, um, to uh, Chris McDowell's uh, website, if I can find it. And there's a lovely video as well about it, but I won't play that now because this is a podcast. Exactly. And Zoom would probably cut out the audio anyway. Um, <laughs> and but, um, so moving on, we have uh, uh, something that you predicted, Andy. Mm -hmm. uh, and you predicted it about um, Avatar, uh, the role-playing game that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks because it has turned out to be massive. And what did you say, Andy? I said they'd start making excuses as soon as it was released that they wouldn't handle it very well if i remember correctly well i'm uh, not going to judge their handling of it but they have said there may be a delay yeah there you go see now uh, the delay is apparently due to the lack of cardboard in america or well, wherever they're getting it printed you see i heard differently to start with because they published something about a lack of paper rather than cardboard uh and then they seem to have metamorphosed into a lack of cardboard now I believe, to be fair, it's a particular sort of paper and a particular sort of cardboard. It's not paper and cardboard in general. I'm sure there's plenty of that in America. Um, but it's a supply problem for a particular weight and grain of paper or colour of paper or well, something along those lines anyway. Um, so you can play two sides to this. You can either say, well, COVID, worldwide supply problems, you know, upheaval here, there, whatever. Maybe there are supply problems with paper and cardboard and whatever, and, and therefore it will be delayed. Or you can say, and this is me speaking hypothetically, I must stress that because I have no inside uh, information, but this has succeeded beyond their wildest dreams and then some. And perhaps they weren't prepared for the sheer volume of cardboard paper or whatever raw materials they needed. Um, Avatar concerns me greatly on the grounds that it strikes me as a, uh, a gateway game in the same way as Alien was and a few others. And it may be as a result that it's the first experience of role-playing and or Kickstarter that some people have had, judging by the sheer number of backers and whatever. And as a result, I'd kind of like it to go without a hitch because if it starts causing problems for people then it will put people off over the hobby or kickstarter or both or whatever um and that isn't a win scenario for anyone as far as i can see um so i am watching this one and i know it possibly is unfair to say this but uh, i know that some of the people involved have had problems with delivery kickstarters before um so maybe there are issues with this one of the same ilk i don't know again speculation but yeah, I did predict that as soon as the Kickstarter came up, they'd start listing out the difficulties with the Kickstarter, and lo and behold, they have. So there you go. <laughs> I, think the back, be, I, I, mean, I, I think the good thing about this an early announcement is they're managing expectations. So in terms of yeah. keeping people informed... Um, well, that's the key thing with any Kickstarter campaign is the communication, isn't it? It's the transparency and communication. Because if you have a project that you don't hear anything from for months, even if there's no news... Um, you're instantly going to think, well, that's a, a dead one or a scam or, or whatever. Um, so as long as they keep their, their clientele informed as to where they're at, then I think they're probably doing reasonably well, maybe. Yeah. 
um, because I'm, I'm I'm on a different Kickstarter for an electronics project, which I won't name, but they've had supply problems with chips and hardware for ages now. But they have kept people updated on a fairly regular basis. And as a result, people are really forgiving with them because, you know, everyone understands there's a worldwide chip shortage, blah, blah, blah. So therefore, they're forgiving that the project is delayed because of that. And I think if Avatar does the same with its resource management issues or logistics issues or whatever it is, um, then that's kind of forgivable. But it's it really depends on how they manage things in terms of communication, I guess, rather than actual problems, because everything's forgivable, providing you know you trust the person who's explaining the situation to you. So there you are, really. Um, but I think it's important because it is the biggest Kickstarter. It is a gateway game, um, the biggest role-playing Kickstarter anyway. Um, it is a gateway game. It is an incredibly popular franchise. There are a lot of people who are going to be coming into Kickstarter and role-playing the first time this way. And I think it's critical then that it, you know, um, puts over the right fuzzy feelings to people. Um, but there you go. I, it's, it's a difficult one, really, because I wouldn't want to be in charge of their logistics or resource management right now. <laughs> Shipping to four continents or five continents or whatever, that size of project. But then, as you say, there are bigger projects that involve hardware and shipping and stuff like that. And they yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's kind of more acceptable though because the lead times for hardware are kind of understood because it's a physical product in terms of a chip that has to be manufactured and made. The paper and cardboard people take as, you know, standard everyday things you can pick up at your local supermarket or whatever. So it's harder for people to understand a shortage of that, I guess. Um, So there is that. But I don't know. I I don't want to judge them prematurely. I guess I already have to some extent. Yeah, I am concerned. Yeah, I think I have. But yeah, I mean, I have concerns. And I have to also, uh, other disclaimer, I didn't back it um, because I have no interest in the franchise, to be honest. No, um, um, same here. It's not a thing um, that uh, excites me. I have no skin in the game. And I imagine a whole bunch of our. Um, listeners who aren't patrons as well. So I'm interested in its development. Now, um, that brings us to the end of the world of gaming. Um, You did want to mention a couple of other Kickstarters. uh, Um, Yeah, you can go over those, really. Mothership or something. Mothership seems to be... The only reason I wanted to bring up the Mothership stuff, actually, is not the individual Kickstarters. It's the amazing improvement in quality of Mothership stuff over the last year or so. Because originally, all the Mothership adventures were like uh, two-fold A4 sheet pamphlet adventures in monochrome or something. And it was the sort of thing you can knock up in the afternoon on an on a average printer. And then suddenly, ZineQuest happened last year. And now there are all these um, massively laid out, colorful, artistic books with fold-out sections and UV ink and God knows what else. And it's like this explosion of creativity in the Mothership space. And it's really quite heartening really um and some of them i mean rain and blood is one of them andromeda launched today there's also alien armory and a few others they are absolutely beautiful to look at and it's it's interesting to me how they've gone from you know sort of bedroom produced pamphlets to professionally laid out zines or magazines or whatever 
um, in such a short period of time. And these are all fan-based things. This isn't, you know, Tuesday night games or whatever. These are fans of it launching their own Kickstarters and going from there. Uh, going from there. <clears throat> so it's, yeah, it's, it's quite a story, really. Um, but that was the key point for bringing it up because I think these things look, I mean, Rain in Blood in particular, I mean, it's all black and red ink and a bit more bog in, in, in style, but it looks great. It looks beautiful. Um, so there you go. Anyway, that's really the point of bringing those up, was just the explosion in creativity in that area. Brilliant. Um, and now we're going to say goodbye to you because we're going to go on to the interview. Um, so uh, thank you for coming on and uh, helping out where Dave just wouldn't. He just refused. Well, I think it's despicable that, you know, he wouldn't ring in from holiday, really, or yeah. arrange something. I mean, it's leaving you in the lurch like that. It's terrible. Yeah, he, should, he, sh- he should have got a, a stand-in host himself. Yeah, he should have arranged all this. Oh, I yeah. don't know. Well, you can't get the staff. But there we go. Um, I, luckily, I can get the staff. Um, yep. I got you. Indeed. Um, so thank you very much for stepping in at the last minute. Um, Absolutely no problem. Dave doesn't know I've invited you, so he's going to be furious when he listens to this. But, uh, I'll get him to check the small print on his contract. I'm sure there's a substitute the clause. I, I invited you he's just to make him furious. So, uh, <laughs> But it's been a pleasure having you. Um, and say goodbye to our listeners. And goodbye to our listeners. And I'm not going to say the classic thing because I know you've already lined that up, I think. Andreas has got us covered at the end. Yeah, so I will leave that to him. He'll probably do it better than I would anyway. And we've got a very special guest in the Hammam today. One you may have heard of if you listen to other Free League related podcasts. And that's and, and somebody that's been on this podcast in a previous discussion but we've never had you on a sort of one-to-one basis and that's andreas lundstrom uh welcome andreas thank you so very much thank you for having me it's a it's a it's a real pleasure and um, oh, now we asked mine. this of all our guests when they're first on the show and i don't think we asked it last time for that panel discussion Mm. But we ask all our guests just to start off a little bit by talking about their life in gaming. When did you start tabletop role-playing games? Mm. All right, I'm going to try and keep this short, but it's a rather good story. So I'm going to tell it. Uh, I'm going to tell some some. Take bit your time. We've yeah. got we've got ages to fill. Dave's yeah. not here this week, so yeah. uh, I mean, your listeners will be will be aware of the Drock and the Mornair role-playing game, of course, and Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I was not one of those. I'm, I think I'm, I'm two or three years too young to have been caught up with the Doc and the Mourner in the 80s. So when I was in, uh, I was about 11 maybe, I had some friends playing AD&D, second edition. Uh-huh, yeah. Or first, I don't know, but AD&D anyway. And the, I just heard about this game and I, something just told me in my heart that this was something for me. Uh, and I asked them, can I, can I please join your group? And I said, no. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't understand this. Uh, I can, I can, to some degree, understand what many women probably went through uh, in the 80s and 90s with gatekeeping and stuff like that. You know, all this thing. You wouldn't understand this that many people heard because that, that's exactly what I've heard. Um, and is this because you were younger than that group? No, or? no, no. We were in the same class. We were, it was just that they'd started a campaign and they were like, "You can't jump in. You won't understand anything." I, I don't know. Maybe they yeah. played two years, three years, or half a year. I have no idea. But they're like, no, you can't. So I knew of role-playing games, and I bought Mutant 2 mm-hmm. as a box. But the thing is, that was a supplement. So when you open those books, there was nothing in there to explain to you like 
what is a role-playing game? You know, this, uh, the first bit that's in every, you know, basic rule set. Uh, there was nothing like that in that. So I had no idea what it was, but the map was amazing. And there were some strange polyhedral dice. I couldn't understand what they were. Uh, and, uh, you know, lists of guns. I was, you know, enthralled by this, but I didn't know what it was. So when I started what we in Sweden call gymnasiet, which is basically high school in the US, at least. I don't know what's it called in UK, but you're 16 Secondary when you start. Yeah. yeah. So you... Uh, how old yeah. are you when you start that in Sweden? In 16. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. So very high. Yeah. we um, uh, Sixth form, I think, is probably what yeah. we have in... in so this, in, is, uh, this is in 94. I happened to come in the same class as a, as a guy who'd played Jocker and the Warner. Doc of the Mourner uh, since, uh, yeah, since maybe six years back or something. And he said, yeah, I have a gang playing Doc of the Mourner role-playing games. Would you want to join? And I was like, are you kidding me? Can I join? But I don't know anything. And he was like, well, that doesn't matter. We'll teach you. And I was like, oh, can you please? And we, yeah, I joined him for a session of Doc of the Mourner. And I absolutely loved it, even though my brain just froze. Um, uh, and I didn't know what to do. Uh, but after just a few months, um, because that gang, that gang were playing Docker de Mona, we were playing Cult. We were mm -hmm. playing the Swedish translation of Merp. Mm -hmm. And we'd played a session or two of Merp. And the, this was, I, I'd only be playing for half a year, I think. And the rest of me playing for years and years. And they were one or two years older as well. But after a few sessions of Merp, the, the GM came to me and said, listen, I'm not going to take all of this, you know, lore uh, corrections that you drop all the fucking time. Uh, okay, so next session of Merp, you're the GM. Here are the books. Read them, study them, write a scenario. Here we go. This was partially because he was tired of me just, you know, like... Well, actually, it wasn't like that because they didn't come there until the year 20, you know. So we should explain maybe for our younger uh, listeners that Merp is Middle-earth role-playing. Yes. Based on Rollmaster, which is a game that I cut my teeth on years mm. ago, but a kind of slightly, slightly simplified version of Rollmaster. Actually mm. quite a complex game, if I remember mm. correctly. Um, and it was the official Middle Earth game. Yes, of yes. Those and days. the the since since the the players in Sweden were ten years younger than the ones in the US and the UK, um, they had to simplify it further. Uh, I've looked through some. I, I own quite a lot of old Merp in English, and and I mean the graphics just horrible. It's just I I get a headache just by opening most of those uh, supplements. Uh, so the, uh, the, uh, the Swedish translations were much better um, graphically designed and, and they were much easily accessible for, for someone who's maybe 10 or 12 or 15 or 18. Hmm. So yeah, so I started GMing just after a few months after, uh, after I started and, and that was it. Then I was a GM slash player for, for many years nowadays. Unfortunately, I am mostly a GM. <laughs> do you wish you were you could play more i wish i can play more absolutely for sure both in in my podcast winner roles and and riddles in the dark but also um but also in my home games all right we'll, we'll have to see whether we can invite you over at some point we're gonna have to play at least one game of the one ring so uh yeah 
I'll, I'll find yeah. one of our cohort who doesn't mind being badgered by somebody who knows more about the oh. law than he does. To be a player in the one ring again. Oh, <laughs> oof, oof. You're giving me well, chills We'll see now. if we can make that happen for you. I can't promise it'll be soon, but sometime we'll try mm. and do that. Um, so, so that was your introduction, um, mm-hmm. uh, not just to playing, but to, to game mastering. And, and was that is that kind of the end of the story? Did you just then carry on mostly I, in Middle Earth? I was in a hibernation period as well, like most others. Um, I think mine might have been a bit later than some others because I, st- I only started in 94. So I played regularly until I had my first kid in 2006. Yeah. So I played for 12 years and then I... I had a pause more or less for, I would say, seven or eight years, probably, with now, hardly any gaming Jonathan, at all. Jonathan, who's not going to be happy hearing that, he's just had his first kid, and he's thinking, well, it won't be long before I'm gaming again, and we keep saying. Well, there's online gaming now. If, if there would have been, you know, like Roll20 and stuff like that, and Discord and Zoom back yeah. in 2008, I probably wouldn't have stopped, but... Uh, you know, the hassle of getting everyone together physically in a room. And also in, my, in all of my home groups up till then, the, the standard was like, if you can't play for five hours, you might as well don't. Like might just, well not, yeah. you know, so five hours is a minimum for a session. You prefer to have at least eight. And as and, you know, I have four kids, so it, it just wasn't possible for a while. But then I got divorced and now I'm playing more than ever. <laughs> Well, maybe not the first few years because we played three or four times a week, but uh, apart from the first years. Mm. Yeah. And so that's your life in gaming. And obviously mm. that's not all of your life, even after your divorce. <laughs> um, and we, we're talking about music uh, mm. in the meat of this one. So can I just ask a little bit, because musicians like you, you always astound me. I'm, I, I tried to play the guitar when I was 12 or something like that. Found it incredibly hard. I've just taken, started again, and it's. I'm finding it easier to learn, but I'm still stunned uh, as I watch other guitarists do their thing, mm. and I'm still plinky plonking down up and down the fretboard. So you, uh, musicians always impress me. But what, what, when did you start playing music? What did you start playing? How much of your life is it? <clears throat> well, right now it's quite a lot because I, I do compose and produce soundtracks for RPGs. I produce uh, soundtracks for uh, one live stream and one podcast. And I play live with three different projects. Uh, but it all started when I got into heavy metal when I was 10, 10, 11, something like that. Mm. We started a heavy metal band called Ultimate Decay. I still Excellent. think that might be the best band name I've ever had for any of my bands. Yeah, it's a good uh, band name. <laughs> yeah, it is. But the band wasn't very good. Or maybe at least I wasn't very good. I was a drummer. And it, uh, yeah, yeah we, we kept it up for a few years. But when we started Gymnosit, you know, when you're 16 and, and I got into role-playing games and, uh, you know, going to the pub, stuff like that. Uh, we, we split the band. And then I, I started hanging on Irish pubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, from, you know, in Sweden, you can't, you can't go to a pub until you're 18, but I'm quite tall and I had 
somewhat of a beard even then. So I, I could actually get in without them asking for, for an ID even when I was 16, 16 and a half. If you, go, if you went to like a calm pub, there was no problem. If you went to the popular you know, discotheques in, in Central City, uh, you couldn't get in. But, you know, an Irish pub somewhere, sure. So I got into Irish music and uh, started playing some guitar. And then I got into other kinds of folk, traditional music. Uh, but I would say that Irish, Irish trad is my, that's my home ground musically. There's Excellent. no other genre that I, that I know better. Um, right, I'm going to, I'm going to take some notes here. So you said you're in three, three bands. One of those, moment. I guess, must be an Irish folk band. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And what's that called? Uh, we're called Clontarf Banshees. I'm just writing that down. I'll have a look for you on, uh, on Spotify. Are you on Spotify or? Uh, no, we're not. We we are a live band only. We do. Just I think like, we might have we might have a song or two on YouTube, possibly. I'll, I'll, I'll root around on YouTube and see yeah, if you can find it. Yeah, but those are I, those are my, ten years old. My musical tastes tend towards the Irish folk ah, music okay. mm. as well. Mm. I, I was a bit into punk growing up because I'm a little bit older than you, uh, but really into the Pogues when they arrived. Yeah, the Pogues. Yeah. And the Pogues and the Dubliners are my, you know, and, like um, mm. Christy Moore and people like that. So, mm. Mm. so mm. yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think ninety eight percent of all uh, Clontarf Banshee material is has been performed by Pogues or Dubliners on some <laughs> kind of record sometime. Excellent. I do it. So I, I, last year I did a blog uh, of twenty four different versions of Fairy Tale of New York. Mm -hmm, I must admit okay. I didn't find one of yours there. No, I, you should be happy about that. That's not our. <laughs> that's not our main song. You played for one month a year, and then you drop it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Moving on. Though. So that's 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 one band. You got two other mm -hmm. bands. What 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 are their flavors or genres? Uh, well, I have a band who play German umpa umpa music. Right. Uh, since five or six six uh, probably six years back, I play drums and sing in German at the same time. Oh, that's pretty impressive. Excellent. No, it's not, because it's just... Well, uh, and, and, and I mostly only sing the choruses as well. <laughs> so I, you know... Um, but I, in all my bands, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be playing with people who are immensely better musicians than I am. I'm, I could play a lot of instruments, like half well but i'm not i'm so far from a virtuoso as you can get uh, i don't practice i don't rehearse uh, <laughs> which you have to do if you want to go somewhere but i i i was fortunate enough to to get some friends in the royal academy of music here in sweden uh, so in all my bands the the other musicians are incredible some of them are even top in their field in their instrument in sweden you know they're they're incredibly good musicians um, so, so we've got Irish folk, we've got Umpa, Umpa yeah. Oktoberfest music. Yes. What's your third genre? Uh, well, it's uh, I don't wouldn't call it genre, but I, I play a lot at, at a Viking restaurant in Stockholm called Eifur, which right. is owned by E Type, the old Euro disco legend from the nineties. <laughs> uh, he is a big Viking. He has a big Viking passion, so he opened a Viking restaurant. So, and there I play. Uh, everything from Lorena McKennett to old medieval folk songs to um, 
like own compositions and you know just all ev- dressed and, and as a Viking, even yeah, if I'm dressed as a Viking, exactly. Singing exactly. like one. Yeah, yeah. so I, I I play anything that sounds even remotely Viking-ish. I even do some some songs from you know The Witcher and uh, and um, uh, Game of Thrones. There are some classics there. In, in there are, in, yeah. <laughs> um, now, um, so I'm just putting I'm putting this life in order. Then, mm. so before you started composing for RPGs, you mm. were composing for Sweden Rolls. Your acclaimed, yes. um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Actual play, podcast. actual play actual podcast, play, yeah. um, which is in English, uh, yes. but produced with. Very professional Swedish actors taking on the players' mm. roles. Yeah. Swedish-based sounds... because uh, two of the original members, one of one was from America and one was one was from the UK, and Dominic from the UK is, is still is still on the podcast. Oh, so Sweden-based, right? I, I hadn't yeah. quite tweaked that. I just thought there were people with very good English who could do American and mm-hmm. English accents. I guess because <laughs> <laughs> you Swedes are also incredibly good at the language which I ah oh, stop it. <laughs> um, so Sweden Rolls came first. Um, mm. Just just to give a little potted history, maybe for those few of our listeners that haven't heard of it, um, mm. you started off doing Forbidden Lands, I think. Mm. Mm. Um, Thinking we were the first ones, but then you, you slapped me on the wrist <laughs> one day on Facebook and said, no, we were a few weeks ahead of you and we... <laughs> Because I, I got my copies of the Forbidden Lands books. It's actually a test print from the printer to Free League. And I got those with me home um, before half of Free League had even seen the book. Right. Uh, only Thomas and Nissa had seen the books. And, and I was in there and, and they said, well, we got a test print here. Take this, take this with you. Brilliant. And I posted a, a picture on Facebook and, and, and Facebook went crazy. You know, the Swedish... Uh, role-playing game uh, group was like, what, what, has it come? I haven't gotten it. I haven't gotten it. (laughs) And was that in Swedish or English, that version that you got? English, English. Right, excellent. Um, So I'm not sure how we managed to beat you to it, but I I do remember slapping you on the wrist and just working Mm. out, oh, no, no, our... Since, since our players are actors, it took them a while to make characters. It took me a while because I had to write. We recorded 16 episodes in three days. Ah, right. Uh, during a weekend. So, so we, uh, I had to write, you know, a full campaign, more or less, uh, before we even could start. So it took us a while to, to, to record it. And then yes, that's not after, how we do things. And then yeah. after that, we also had to, I had to edit at least because we wanted a buffer and we wanted to release three episodes like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, first week. Some, someone told me it's good for the algorithm or something to do that. I guess so. I, it's yeah. not a thing we did, but never mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's too late for any of us now anyway. Yeah. But, you know. So uh, yeah, so we, uh, it took us a while. We didn't get it out there until November. Yeah, but I got so, the I books in. I got ours. the books in August, I think. You know, we didn't release the episodes until late November. Yeah. Um. We, we so we did ours off the PDFs, maybe even off the Alpha PDFs. Um. And we did mm. it. It was just one of our regular face-to-face games, which we just kind of just started recording. Mm. Um. And uh, we recorded session zero, so people made mm. their characters online. Mm. Um. 
as our first session. So I mm. guess that's how we beat you, despite the fact that I'm sure so, yeah. you had the printed copies um, before we did. Sweden Rolls then gave you an in with um, with Free League when it mm. came to casting around for composers for the Bitter Reach first or mm. person? Bitter yes, Reach? the Bitter Reach first. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. And so did they approach you or did you go, I'd love to do some music? They approached me. Uh, I had done one. I'd gotten a commission for another soundtrack before that from another Swedish publisher for the Call of Cthulhu Sweden edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started working on that. I think I I'd, like, you know, made a Facebook post or something about it. I'm not sure. Or if it was just the music from Sweden Rolls that they liked. Uh, I, I'm not sure, but maybe they like the music. I, I can't really answer to, as to why and how, but but Nissa gave me a uh, sent me a text, uh, you know, very like almost mid Kickstarter. Oh, we need a soundtrack. Do you want to do it? Uh, and so it had been a stretch goal, possibly. And yeah, I think it's uh, it's. Uh, I don't I I don't know. I think they they were about to launch the Kickstarter in just a few days, and they were like, "Hey, what about a soundtrack?" Oh yeah, who can we ask? Oh, maybe that Sweden Rolls guy. That's, That's just brilliant. me guessing. I don't know. You'll have to ask. You have to have to have to ask Nisse, Nisse, ask Nisse. But I got the question, and we we came to an agreement, and uh, I started working on that. And before I was even done with that. Uh, I think, yeah, for Vasen, I actually asked them um, because I'd started with the Bitter Reach. I'd sent them some beta versions, which they told me they were happy with. Uh, and I was like, hey, guys, since I'm, I have so many friends playing folk music, so if you want a soundtrack from Vasen, I could really get that. I, that's going to be like another level from the Bitter Reach, mm. um, so which, which in my opinion, it is as well. Let, let me ask, first of all, with, let's talk about The Bitter Reach first. Since mm-hmm. That wasn't your first soundtrack, but it's the first one that most of our listeners will have been aware mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you go about putting that together? What, what, what is the process of you sitting at your desk um, mm-hmm. thinking, right, I, I've got to put some tunes together. What, what goes through your mind? What's the process of recording these different instruments do you do it mm. all yourself do you get friends in as you mentioned with Verson? Mm. it's it's very different the process is very different but one thing that is always ever present is that for me i use a lot of music when i, I know that you don't but i use mm-hmm. i use music a lot when both in my home games and in with a podcast and for me the music never can take precedence no so it has to be music that people like but not too much. Uh, it has to be very ambient. The uh, the volume and the intensity has to stay the same. If it's a battle song, you want high intensity, but it has to stay up there. It has to yeah. be on a consistent level because the last thing you want as a game master is to be a DJ mid-scene. You want to put on a song and put it on repeat until the scene is done. Uh, or until that emotion or whatever feeling you want to project to the players. So the, the music is only there to amplify. And with amplify, I don't mean amplify like in something that happens, something big happening, but, you know, just it's, it's there to give a hint, yeah. just a taste, you know, just a little bit of help the GM along ever so slightly, you know. So one of the challenges, I haven't always not used music, um, 
I should explain to our listeners that um, uh, I use music less now because I'm a bit deaf and I need to hear my players, <laughs> uh, which is something I was telling um, JS earlier on. But when I was younger, I used music quite a lot. And I remember mm. particularly um, using the music from for fantasy, uh, Clannad's um, mm -hmm. soundtrack mm. to Robin of Sherwood. Mm. which had very much, you know, they, they had a track called mm. Battle, which makes it easier. Yeah. You put exactly. that on loop yeah. when, uh, yeah. when that mm. comes along. Although back in those days, it was all off a cassette mm. player, so it wasn't mm. actually on loop. It mm. was like, let me, let, me, let me press this on my, mm. uh, uh, on my tape recorder, and off it yeah. goes for a bit, and then stops suddenly. Um, and, and other music like that. Um, the challenge I felt, so now... We have all sorts of tools for playing music, as you say, on a loop, either you know, just mm. straight mm. off our phones or there's things mm. like Sirenscape, which I don't really understand because, again, it's something that's come after I went deaf. Mm. Um, but as a GM, how easy do you find it to switch from we're having some lovely music for walking through the countryside and now here's an ambush and I want to move into a battle? battle mm. music to to, to mm. make those switches while you're gming well i mean it, you get a you get a different effect if you are saying you're walking through the forest and then you change the tune to something really you know scary or airy or you know and they and then the players are going to be like okay what's going to happen uh, I, I want to make a perception roll can i can i make a scouting <laughs> roll uh what, what's happening i want to you know or if you say uh, you walk through the forest and you're ambushed. Roll for initiative, and then you press play. Right, both yeah. are effective. Mm. Uh, both both add for me. Both add to the scene, but in different ways. So you and you need to to do it differently, not do it the same way every time. But it's. I mean, of course, for the podcast, we add the music. Uh, afterwards. afterwards, I don't, I don't DJ while while I GM. It's too much to keep in my head. No, it's a lot. It's a lot to be doing. So I do it, uh, but which also gives me the luxury of you know, uh, for instance, I was doing, I, I was uh, editing a podcast episode yesterday actually, and I realized I don't have a good song for this scene. Well, I'll make one then, and then I spent two hours and and you know make something that's good enough to have as a background for a, for a podcast, you know, maybe not something I'd release uh, on a CD or on Spotify, but it's good enough. And it, it fits the scene much better than anything I, I had before, but I realized I didn't answer your previous question of how to go about with the soundtrack. Yes. <laughs> One thing that it, it's very often uh, there when I start with the soundtrack is I look at the, at the setting, like for the bit of reach, it's, it, it was super easy. Like, okay, yeah. we need a song for Landfall or Northfall, as it was later renamed. Uh, we need a song for the Tundra. Uh, we need a song for the Ice Giants. Uh, I want a song for the Wolfkin. Uh, I want a song for the Glacier. Um, because, uh, I mean, of course, I'm making a soundtrack for an RPG. So who are going to listen to it? Well, 99% are going to be the people playing that RPG. And if they're playing that RPG they will want music for the scenes that will come up during we, that campaign. Should we listen to an example of one of those pieces and, yeah, and yeah, then talk sure. about that one mm -hmm. in particular and, and what you did there? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe we could talk a bit about, yeah, we can play the Wolfkin song maybe. 
That's the one I was thinking of. As soon as you said Wolf Kid, I thought, I want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> So that was great. So for me, uh, Wolfkin, they're always on the run. They're mm -hmm. nomads. So you have this like almost breathing from, from running all the time. And you have, uh, they're a very, uh, and, and uh, this, this flute is, I believe, of Native American origin. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking of maybe like plains, the tribes from the plains, the Great Plains, nomads. Uh, traveling around, you know, hunter hunter gatherers. So, with um, all those, did you do all those? Did you play the drums, do the heavy breathing, and play the? No, flute? that's the thing. Is that you know the the big money in in soundtracks is not in RPGs, unfortunately. <laughs> They are in computer games and you know TV and and cinema. So, no, unfortunately, I that was one thing I told I told every. Uh, publisher I've worked with that, you know, 95% of the soundtrack is going to be uh, computer made. Right. Uh, but I do have some awesome plugins, which is what it's called when you can play an instrument on the computer. Mm. And it's uh, in often it's it, it is actually the instrument is recorded. Right. So it's not um, it's not made in a computer. The sound isn't made in a computer. It's not like a synthesizer. So, it's a so when when I play the keyboard, uh, I'm playing the exact notes that a musician has you know pre-recorded. Um, so and then there's a lot of uh, tech stuff on how to make it sound, because if you just record someone playing, duh, 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 
then it's going to be a very boring song because the song is going to be duh, 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 duh. it's it's going to sound it's going to sound like it's synthesizer made even though it's not uh, so yeah but no and the drums are a, a, like a, a pre-recorded loop right yeah so you need to have you need to have a big catalog of loops and instruments and plugins and but i also got a tip from a friend of mine who makes who actually makes actual i almost said actual soundtracks for you know tv and huge computer games from japan and stuff like that and he he gave me a tip that you should always try and have one sound that is recorded from a microphone and then you use different reverbs uh, and put the same reverb on that one as you do with the computer-made stuff. Because yeah. Then it sounds like it's all recorded it's in one room. room. But yeah. the presence of even even one guitar string, but even if I just play a very dronish uh, one-note sound, that will enhance the perception that everything is actual, actually actual instruments. Mm. Um, That's so, a really interesting yeah. tip. So, but, but for Vasen, I used uh, for Vasen, I used uh, some actual instruments as lead instrument for three songs. There's actual, actual musicians playing uh, two songs. There's a fiddle, and for one song, it's a hurdy gurdy. Brilliant! And can we hear one of those? See if we can spot the difference. Yes, of course you can. Of course you can. Let's see. Maybe we do the neck. Is a you know the neck the vasen the neck yeah. who sits naked by a stream playing the fiddle luring people to come and dance until they die. Uh, it's one of my favorite vasen altogether, and for me it's the the quintessential. Is that a word? It is. Yeah, the quintessential vasen for Nordic folklore for Swedish folklore for me. There's no, I mean, we, of course we have trolls, but many other cultures have trolls and uh, we have, you know, Nisse and goblins and stuff like that. But for me, the neck is, is the quintessential Swedish vasen. So I just had to have uh, a song themed by, by the neck 
And for that, I knew I had to have a, a live recording of a fiddle. So, so I went who, to my... Who, who played the fiddle for you? It's actually an Italian guy <laughs> called David Lombardi, who is a, a, a true virtuoso, real maestro. Um, I think he went through like the musical school system in Italy in like just a few years, you know. And he was here doing his master's um, in Sweden in the Royal Academy of Music. We got to know each other playing Irish music. <laughs> and he helped me out with, with this one and The Forest. Excellent. And when, when he does that, does he, do you send him a score and he does it and then sends you a recording back or do you bring him into your place and do a sort of studio uh, recording? Well, it? he was actually, he, he's based in Scotland now since, since a few years back. So I, I sent him some, let's call it inspiration because mm -hmm. I can't play the fiddle like he can. So <laughs> I, I did some inspirational stuff on the guitar and I also pre-recorded the ambience that's in the background. And so you had that to listen to while he was playing. Exactly, precisely. And the ambience isn't, it isn't uh, beat-based, so he could choose whichever beat, whichever time he wanted. Oh, brilliant. Mm. Excellent. So, and of course, for, for the bit of reach, it was more like locations mm -hmm. or different kin. For Vassen, of course, it's... A bunch of different vasen and and you know um for every soundtrack you have to have a battle song that's something yes. i always include even though it's not battle focused but you always have to have some kind there's, of up there's going to be a fight sometimes fight, fight song even, even if yeah you know so yeah and, I, and interesting um so i've been playtesting for vasen for uh for nils the um the new Britain and Ireland book mm, and yes. adventures by Graham Davis. And there's one of those set very much in London. And I'm immediately mm. thinking that what I'd like to use is, although it, well, it's fascinating, it's setting Hampstead actually. And I'm mm. trying to think, oh, my first inclination would be go to the, some of the soundtracks we had for Ripper Street or for um, um, the, the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes, mm -hmm. wonderful zither playing and stuff like mm. that. But does it actually need to be more genteel since we're in Hampstead? Um, <laughs> it'd be interesting to see what would apply there. Mm. Um, before we finish, though, um, mm. we should talk about uh, Twilight 2000. Mm. So uh, that, that's a game that, you know, is coming out shortly. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not mm -hmm. sure when it's going to hit, hit our doorsteps in print. Because um, I think the backers have the finished PDF, right? But not yes, the we do books. have the finished PDFs. But yeah. we, and, and last I heard, the print was on its way to the distribution houses. But I don't think I've mm. seen any more news since then. Mm. Mm. But um, a very a different, different setting. Commission. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So a very different soundtrack. Yeah, and of course, it's it's also a game that I'm much less familiar with than mm. the other ones because i'd played as you know forbidden land since before it came out um and and knew my way around the fantasy soundtrack and for vas and also it's it's a setting that i know very well uh because i'm i'm a lover of history uh, and i love 19th century history as well it's such an interesting age and time um, but for, for Twilight 2000, I'd never played any of the earlier iterations. 
So I had to go a lot on, I had a long, long talk with an old friend of mine called Guillermo who played the old iterations uh, somewhat. And I, I had some long chats with, with Thomas as well about what, what we were aiming for. And it was challenging. It, in some ways, it was more challenging because it was more like new ground that I hadn't trodden before. But in some ways, it was easier because I could use some stuff that just wouldn't fit a fantasy uh, or an, if something, you know, most of the soundtracks I've made, they can't sound too modern. You know, no. the, the things I've done for Coriolis and Mutant Year Zero for our Sweden Rolls actual place are basically the only time I've ever been allowed to, you know, to use some kind of synthesizer drums or, or you know, um, a drum loop, you know, a modern drum loop. Mm. Um, and there's so much out there that's good that you can use. So I really try to, uh, we talked also a lot about like which, because a, a lot of the backers thought that it should be an 80s sound and then a lot of other backers thought, no, it should be a 90s sound because they had played it in the 80s or yes. played it in the 90s. So, you know, uh, so we decided that I just had to go with my gut uh, on that. So for me, it, it, it ended up becoming, sounding a bit more 80s than, than 90s. The, the synthesizer bits, at least. Uh, not that I was aiming for the 80s, but someone told me That's that... That's what the music told you. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's, for me, kind of a dystopian future. Uh, that makes me think a lot about Terminator 1, mm -hmm. the first Terminator movie, and also the uh, Escape from New York. Yeah. Kurt, Lass Kurt Russell. Yeah, I must admit, oh. when, you, when you were saying, um, as soon as you said dystopian future, I was thinking John Carpenter. Um, mm, exactly. Yeah, uh, and I'm not saying that it's that that you're going to hear John Carpenter when when you hear it, but but it's 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 in there somewhere, and 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 also for me, uh, the like every soundtrack I do, there there's so, some bit of Basil Polidori's score for Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> uh, b b hidden. It, sometimes it might be hidden very deep, and sometimes it might. And in this case, I just went all in with the uh, with the English horn, mm. which is my favorite instrument of the of the symphony orchestra. And that's he's used a lot of English horn for the Conan soundtrack. So so here I really got to, because it does sound a bit too modern for you know for bitter reach, at least I could have used it a bit more in Vasen, but here I really went. Went all in with that. So three songs are deeply, deeply, um, uh, what's it called? Um, greased up in, <laughs> <laughs> with English horn. So maybe, maybe we should have an example of that. So, uh, as an English horn. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, so we'll, I think if we want to do some English horn, maybe we should listen to After the Battle. Mm -hmm. That's also something I try to include in most because if you always have battles, you always have scenes after battle Yeah, where sometimes you've had to kill someone you didn't want to kill or one of your friends got killed. Like if one of the PCs got killed, you can't have like a, a loot song. No. So, so for me, after the battle, it's like it's, it's about recuperation, especially 
I imagine in a game like Twilight 2000, like after after a battle is over, it's like you sit on your tank and you you're just like, you know, oh, we made it. We we actually made it. Bob um, didn't know he's dead. No, exactly. Except Bob, he didn't. But... So you know he's gonna have to roll up a new character. Um, yeah. So this is uh, after the battle. That was a, a great reflective piece of music, Andreas. Um, and it makes me think more again about one of my favorite soundtracks for computer games, which I played, um, mm -hmm. which is that of Red Dead Redemption. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, you touched on something a bit earlier on, which I thought immediately, oh, yes, I remember how that mm -hmm. works in Red Dead Redemption, where you're, you know, you're, you're, you've got prairie music playing, and then suddenly mm -hmm. something there's a new layer, a new track comes mm. in underneath, mm. which is going, oh God, something's going to happen. Shit's about to go down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I know that feeling really well. Um, mm. Now, one of the things that I, I honestly, I'm so not familiar with technology, um, but one of the things I don't think a GM can do in role-playing games, but please correct me, is can you layer these on top of each other? Could you, could you have you know, the, the battle music sort of coming in quietly, doing that thing that you said of alerting people to the fact that maybe things aren't all that they've seen. It would take a, a lot of planning and it, the songs would need to be, you know, in the same key or at least a parallel key and preferably the, the same tempo. Otherwise, people will notice like there are two songs playing now. Mm. Or if you take one down, they're gonna notice that you lower the first one and then you that you put the for yeah. them to really the way a DJ does in the, in a discotheque, you know, uh, for them to do that, you need advanced equipment and you need. Um, I actually, but, but actually, come to think of it, I actually did just that uh, for my podcast because I had the song that I mentioned earlier that I needed to invent was yeah. actually. I, for Forbidden Lands, the characters for Forbidden Lands, our Forbidden Lands campaign, they all have a theme song, like a leitmotif. Yeah, each, excellent. Good you know. to hear. <laughs> yeah. And then I wanted, a, I wanted a mingling of two of those. I wanted to merge them into each other. And they weren't the same time, uh, but they were in parallel keys. Right. So I do think I managed to merge them uh, rather good if i may say some i was a little proud of myself if I, <laughs> if I may be so bold and actually in that case it actually went like you know from a 
I think from a C major to an, to an A minor in a very cool way. And then a few bars of just the same, more or less the same um, accompaniment in Swedish. You're going to floor me on the English musical term for it. You know, the background music with the chords, the chords, not the melody. Right. The, the thing that's accompanying the, the, the melody. Right. So like yes, the strings, again, the, the strings playing the chords, uh, just... Sl- just uh, shift ever so slightly. And, really, and I'm then going to end get up with a PhD a in, um, in music when, when it gets awarded. And I feel such a fraud because I know so little about music. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, uh, and never mind, that's, mm. a, that's another topic. Uh, the, but the other thing I wanted to ask uh, so obviously, that's something that you could do after the fact. You had the scene mm. already, you'd recorded mm. that, you're looking to layer two pieces mm. of music on top of each other. You can take mm. that time. Because you're not doing it instantly in the game, you can make it work. You made mm. it work. Mm. Um, but the other thing that I loved about Red Dead Redemption as a soundtrack was the way that at the end of significant chapters, mm. they cut the sort of ambient music entirely and mm. a song started up. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And obviously, one of the things I imagine that you don't do is put songs with words in because they're going to be distracting from the story exactly. that's going on. It has to be instrumental. Have you ever, though, used songs in-game to kind of say, well, this was, a, this was a moment, and I've got just the appropriate song here, and let's all just sit back and listen to this song mm-hmm. for a bit before we move mm-hmm. on to the next thing? Um, well, as I, as I told you, I really, for me, my whole philosophy with music for role-playing games is that it's, it can never be a distraction. It has mm. to, I mean, what happens around the table is, has to be the focus 100%. So it's just there to add a little flair, a little flavor, some ambience. But every now and then you, need, you want, as you said, you might want something really epic to happen. And, and for me, what I realized that I did a lot, even like 10, 15 years ago, was that as people came, and we were packing up. We took, everyone took up their dice. We took up our character sheets. People put their beer in the fridge. I'd play the Anvil of Krom from Conan the Barbarian, mm-hmm. which is like, it doesn't get any more epic than that. And, and you know, just to get this like feeling of today we're going to be heroes. We're going to do something heroic. Um, so, so not mid-game. I haven't done that much. Um, Unless, of course, you count the. Have you played the Gene Lab Alpha? Uh, I, I know it's the it's the it's the mutant yeah, zero campaign that I really want to play though. Because in there, there's a scene where a shaman is getting everyone super high on glue, and in the actual in the actual campaign, there is a suggestion for a song that you can play on Spotify. All right, which is super super, you know. Uh, uh, it's it's drugs music. I can't say it anyway. <laughs> I don't I don't promote drugs at all. I don't I don't really I don't really. But in this case, it was it was fun because the the characters uh, are forced to get high uh, by the shaman for the shaman to help them. And spoiler, and then um, then you put this on, and it's really so psychedelic. It's oh, so psychedelic. I, I'm gonna have to read it up and 
And then, yeah, I mean, that's the only time. That's the only time I've ever done it in like mid-game. Put on a song and just like let's listen to this now because this is some fucked up shit. So another slightly more personal project you've been working on is music for Coriolis. Mm -hmm. Of course, yes. there already is a Coriolis soundtrack that you didn't compose. No, I did not compose that. No, that was before I came into the picture. But yeah. you've, I guess, has this come out of the Coriolis games that you ran on? Yeah, exactly. On I. I've gotten so much good feedback from because our patrons, if I if I may make some, you know, mention that we have a Patreon page for Sweden Rolls, which we'll put a link to awesome that in the show notes. Don't replace uh, the effect with us, <laughs> but add us both on Patreon, okay? Uh, but we have a lot of cool stuff there, and one of the bonuses that you get from a four dollar and upwards is that you get all the music from from the show. Uh, Generally, often it's maybe four songs a month, but we've been running for a few years now. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd say there are quite a lot of songs now, it's over 50, maybe 80 songs or something on there. Ah, maybe close to 50, <laughs> maybe. But, you know, uh, <laughs> and... Uh, a good few albums worth. Yeah, a good few albums worth. And I, I really, for me personally, the, the Coriolis stuff that I made is, in my opinion, among the best stuff I've made. Mm. Uh, so I'm, I'm super happy with it. So I asked the guys at Free Your Leg, like, okay, as long as I don't call it Coriolis, as long as I don't say it's an official soundtrack, can I, like, make a soundtrack called Music from the Third Horizon or something like that, you know? Uh, but then I realized that, hey, I want to I I tell people who play... Um, uh, the Expanse RPG about this or who play, mm. you know, Star Trek or whatever. So maybe I shouldn't link it too hard to Coriolis, but it is a, absolutely a Coriolis soundtrack from the beginning. And you hear all the, the um, Middle East and Far East um, components in there. As I told you, I have a lot of instruments on my computer, uh, <laughs> which, which really sound great. And I, I, some of my Coriolis stuff is really among the, it's among the best I've, I'm, I'm super happy with it. Uh, so, so I felt like I have to put this out some, somehow. So how's that coming out? As we speak, uh, it's to be decided, but hopefully it will be decided as this uh, episode airs or very shortly thereafter. So if you can't find the link in the show notes of this episode, Look, back, check back in a week or two, and there will be a link in the show notes then. But I might not name every song, you know, the icons, uh, no. the hammam, uh, <laughs> Corioli Station, and, you know, uh, a night in, in uh, Dabaran, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Oh, I'll look forward to listening to that. Should we finish off with a piece from that future release? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do that. Let's let's do a piece that was originally called Coriolis, the stars. But when we used it in the podcast, I seemed to uh, only pick it out when the icons were about, when someone is praying, or when they're in the uh, a chapel, or like in a in a yeah whenever the icons are making themselves present or when the, 
like if they're talking about faith or something. So I've actually renamed it the icons. Brilliant. Now I'm thinking um, partly because we're overrunning, partly because that sounds like just the perfect track to just not finish this interview on, but to finish the whole program on, that uh, we ought to say goodbye. So Andreas, where can people find you and follow you? Uh, well, my handle is at RPG Podcaster uh, on Twitter and Instagram, although I'm not very active on those two, but I plan to be so as, as the m- music starts releasing. Excellent. Um, and I'm, and, I'm no. stunned that you're the first RPG Podcaster to, to think of that as a name. Yeah, I was I'm almost as happy with that one as with Ultimate Decay. <laughs> I'm going to say it's goodbye from me. Thank you so much for having me and thanks everyone for listening and may the icons truly bless your adventures. <laughs>